So very early on, we would do engagement posts with the community, even though we didn't have much of a community back then, like, hey, send us a picture of you and we'll draw you or, you know, something along those lines where everyone wants a piece of that, like to see the outcome of it. And then, of course, by them commenting on it with their picture, you're gaining more discoverability with the algorithm or people are seeing it in their feed. So I think that that's really important as well. Welcome to another episode of High Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Caleb Lee. Caleb is a CEO and founder of Visuals by Impulse. If you've ever watched a gamer stream something on YouTube or Twitch, you've probably seen their work. They create animations for streamers. In this episode, you'll learn how to transform and scale an agency into a product-focused business. You'll learn what things to do that scale and how to grow your business. My name is Yannick, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. Tell me a little bit about you know your journey before you went uh, full-time into entrepreneurship. I'm curious. Yeah, I feel like I have a really weird journey. I originally got my start in digital forensics, and so I had a really rare opportunity to go internship with the, the FBI. Got to, to do a lot of really cool work there. And then after my time there, I was able to jump into the financial industry. So we're talking like Capital One and the intelligence community around financials. So we're talking about like new malware that comes out or some sort of threat actor that's, you know, a imposing on banks. Those are the sort of things that we would strategize about and come up with a game plan on how to defend against it. And then that's when I went from East Coast to the West Coast and did sort of the same thing out at Nike. So I was doing cybersecurity for them over there. And you have a background in engineering? A little bit. I know enough about coding to get me in trouble, but if you ask me to write something from scratch, it's going to look like crap. So I know just enough. And so going out to Nike, got to experience the culture and a lot of uh, understanding marketing and really how that kind of cascades into your product in all aspects of things. And one of the things I was really impressed with is how they even market to their own employees out there at headquarters. Long story short, I felt like I, I got to a place where I wasn't really applying myself to the fullest each and every single day. Some days started to feel like autopilot for me, where you're just kind of lolling through the day, you know, not really using critical thinking skills. Within cybersecurity, it always felt like it's the same thing over and over and over again. Someone gets a phishing email, someone had a lack of judgment, you know, they get through, they give up their password, game over. Rinse and repeat every month. <laughs> so I got really kind of bored of that. And then I actually started Visuals by Impulse back when I was out on the East Coast, kind of doing it as a side job. It was very much a matter of just doing this for beer money. So selling graphic designs online, take care of, you know, buying a case of beer on the weekends and never really thought much more beyond that. It was just a hobby. And the, the visual, did that start because you were a gamer back then or how, how did how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so I've always been a gamer. I think we've, we've experienced like this cultural shift around the world, especially with the internet, of where it becomes more okay to have a career in that field. Um, now, granted, we kind of straddle gaming and graphic design. So we primarily work with Twitch streamers, YouTube streamers, Facebook streamers. And think of like the 
the animations and the, the cool visual effects that ESPN has, for example, we do the exact same thing except for streamers and gamers. So that way they can display their donations on stream, their uh, subscribers, whatever the case may be. And it's always unique to their channel and their brand. Back when I first started doing this in 2015, like Twitch streamers do not understand, uh, you know, at the time how to brand themselves whatsoever. It looks like they all had a cousin that knew Photoshop or paint, you know, and say, hey, can you make me an, a graphic overlay or, yeah. you know, something went, for Fiverr and hired somebody for 10 bucks. And, no. Exactly. So I started getting uh, pretty interested in the space and making overlays for folks and Fast forward to today, like it, the demand would just grew and grew and grew and grew uh, to the point where I couldn't personally keep up with the demand. And now, as of today, we're a team of 50 people located all around the world that consist of designers, developers, project managers, content managers. So it definitely takes a village to do what we do. So let's back up a little. So what kind of games did you play like in 2015 when you started? 2015, trying to think. I was playing, that was about the start of Rocket League. Rocket League is still a a timeless classic. Any of the Call of Duty series, absolutely love that. And then prior to that, even getting into like some of the single story modes, you know, such as Uncharted. So I've always been in a variety of different games. Never good enough to stream them myself. Never had, you know, an interesting on-screen personality to be like a Twitch streamer or anything like that. So it was really cool finding a space that we we kind of fit in. But how did you go from being a gamer to designing stuff? Because that was what you started with, right? Just not the like the video animations, but probably stills, stuff like yep. that. Yeah, yeah, I started probably when I was like 12 years old messing around with the cracked version of Photoshop at the time. Back in the day, uh, we had forum signatures. And so there was another game out called SOCOM. And SOCOM was like a military third-person shooter. And I was really, really obsessed with that game as a kid. I would always go on the forums and try to get involved with the community any way I could. And so I started making forum signatures for people. And that is honestly like the start of this whole graphic design gaming adventure, like, you know, back 20 years ago. Nice. And so, and that's when people, you know, they they asked around, hey, where did you had yours made? Oh, you go to K-Lab. And the first few were probably, you know, pay me 10 bucks or 50 bucks and it's a done deal. And then, and then when did you start to professionalize that? Probably when we, we really realized we cannot keep up with the demand of it. Like you mentioned at first, a lot of those projects are, permissionless projects so i was like hey i made this for you you know i just kind of wanted to to flex my muscles in terms of design and then they're like oh this is really cool or no this is crap you know go away but ultimately yeah it started out from a few dollars here and there and then as you you kind of use pricing as a leverage to gatekeep you know your your customers in some senses. So you can't keep up with the demand, then you obviously can increase your prices, and then you attract a certain type of clientele. So that's very much what we did. Except I think the the oddity for us is we continued to raise our prices over and over and over, and it never made a difference. So it's just like you essentially take the lessons learned of creating these bespoke projects, and then you need to start thinking about how do I turn this into a product that anyone can consume 
on our marketplace. So that's kind of how we started venturing into that space. Yeah. And then so you transitions from paid by the hour to, you know, creating digital products that people could download. Exactly. When did that happen and how did you transition to that? I think we had a, a big push for that around 2018. We quickly realized like, hey, we're starting out as an agency and this is no diss to any agencies out there, but we did not want to trade our time for money. We did not want to be in that business. We want to make something that, you know, we invest the time up front for the documentation, set up videos and create a, a really awesome product so that way people can consume this 24-7 across the internet, you know, and we're sleeping and making passive income. Everyone's dream. Absolutely. Yeah. How big was the team back then? And talk me a little bit into the details because, you know, you had projects lined up. So, okay, you had enough work. So how did you do that specifically? Did a part of the team, did they start creating the products or how did you set up the e-commerce store? We originally reached out to, for the the e-commerce portion of it, we reached out to another agency to help us build that out. And looking back on it, Taking our lessons learned, we probably wouldn't do that again. We would go more the in-house route, which is ultimately what we've done now to maintain our e-commerce and main website. Back in the day, our, our first few team members, we were a team of three. One of them included a creative director. And the other two were designers. One of those designers ultimately is still with us today. This is you know four or five years later. And he has, it's really cool seeing his development because he started out as a graphic designer and eventually moved into like not only getting more seasoned with his graphic design skills, but then ultimately he found a, a huge interest into like UI design, web development. So now he's actually an engineer on our team. So it's been really cool seeing his journey. But yeah, those folks would always work on bespoke projects. And we just got to this point where you you sit yourself down and have a strategy session and you go, look, we've raised prices. We still can't keep up with the demand. How can we work smarter here and not harder? And then that's when we we really came around this idea of productization in terms of how do we give someone a digital asset that they can consume over and over and over again, just like uh Jack Butcher says, you know, build once, sell twice. Yeah. How did you uh, come up with like the first product? How did you decide to, you know, that that should be the first thing? Yeah, I think for us, we we have a good idea of the types of design themes that gamers and streamers really are attracted to. So we wanted to be careful to come up with something that was inclusive to everyone, kind of fits everyone's style, is a bit of more general design. But if you know, they want to change the color from blue to red, for example, they had those options or the ability to do so. Um, so that was kind of the first product that we made was like a really base level stream package. What's a stream package? A stream package has like a, an overlay on screen. So a lot of Twitch streamers will receive donations, $5 monthly subscriptions to support their channel, bits so on and so forth. So everyone wants their their 10 seconds of fame on screen. And it doesn't really matter what size streamer you are. You could be a huge influencer or a smaller size streamer. People still want to be recognized for their contribution uh, some way or fashion on screen. And so that stream package is like half a dozen to a dozen different animations included into one package. 
yeah, it has essentially everything you need to get your your designs up and running for your channel. So panels to show off, like, here's my donation link, or here's where to find me on social media. We have, you know, like intermission screens, if you have to go grab a drink or something, come back. And then just starting soon screens, ending soon screens. And then of course, dream transitions. So in open broadcaster software, if I go from one scene to the next, I want to have some cool animated effect that, you know, might wipe across the screen and gives a bit more flair to your channel. Nice. Cool. And so what kind of files do they download, those gamers? And then what programs do they use to um, configure all that stuff? Yeah. So the file that they would download is a zip offer site, primarily includes a .webm file. And a webm is an incredibly optimized file for for animation essentially looks really funny when you open it in a a regular like windows media player but once you get it into broadcast software that can properly um you know decode it we primarily use obs or like i said open broadcaster software a streamer's primary choice for you know plugging in their stream key and going live to twitch or facebook or whatever uh, you can do a lot of really cool things with it. But yeah, the the animated versions are, are WebMs, obviously includes static versions of PNGs. And some folks don't have, you know, a crazy monster, powerful PC computer to run cinematic type animations. So we always have to include static variations for them as well. Cool. And so, so they use OBS and can they then change the color from blue to red or they use different software to do that? So you can actually edit the designs within Photoshop or, you know, free software like GIMP. We're working on a web app that you can do this all within our site. So you can do that not only there, but then within OBS, if you wanted to apply a quick color change, for example, you can apply filters to certain things. And sometimes it it turns out well, and sometimes like you just need to go back to Photoshop and really revisit from the source. Cool. And so you launched your first package, your uh, stream package, and then, you know, okay, uh, you outsourced the e-commerce store, you launched your first uh, bundle. What did, what did you do to, to market it? How did that go? When we first started marketing, we, we came up with uh, essentially like a sponsorship slash affiliate program. So we would accept applications, review over people's channel, we want to make sure this is someone who clearly invests into the look and feel of their brand online. So we set up an automated process through Zapier to help us process some of those applications, ultimately reaching out to folks, telling them that they're accepted or not. And then what we found is there's a huge viral or virality effect that comes of that. You essentially gain their network which then, you know, they'll, they'll tell their followers. And it's just like this domino effect that continues to keep going. So we had a lot of success with that. And th- these were all gamers? These were all gamers and streamers. And streamers. And did, mm-hmm. did they have to be streamers? Or they could also just be, yeah. Yeah, they had to be streamers. So we were looking for folks that were broadcasters, whether it was, like I said, it was on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, whatever the case may be. And what, what was your pitch? We would give them, if accepted, access to 
kind of the, the insider community. So access to upcoming products that we're working on, get their feedback on things. We would give them free designs in exchange for promoting our services, you know, whether it was a link to our site or our logo popping up on their stream, whatever the case may be. And then always had community nights with them as well, which was a lot of fun where we would all get together and, you know, play a certain game together. Sometimes it was like Cards Against Humanity, something like totally opposite of Call of Duty, you know, to really throw people off and explore the social side of things. Nice. And so you gave them like a part of the product for free and you also paid commission when they referred customers or not? Yes, yes. So originally there was a discount code that we would create for them so that way their fans can go and use it on our store to support that creator. And it's amazing how many people were motivated by that at the time. You know, initially we thought no one's going to care about this. Like, whoop-de-doo, you have your name on a code. And that really does resonate with a lot of people. So when we found some a strategy like that that was working, we essentially doubled down on it. Um, and that program is a huge attribution to our success in the early days. All right. And so this was back in 2018. No, you launched in 2015. That was um, just the agency work. And then in 2018, you went to the productization. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And so now we're, we're, we're 2020. Tell us what, what happened between uh, 2018 and 2020. How did you scale? And I think the first part of what kicked this off was we had a, a really large influencer. He goes by the name of Nadeshot, reach out to us through Twitter. Nadeshot is, you know, fast forward to today. He owns the 100 Thieves brand, which is a huge esport team in the space. They've been invested in by Drake, Scooter Braun, you name it. They have a ton of star power in their arsenal. But Nadeshot reached out to us back in 2018 and said, hey, guys, I've seen what you do. I love the work. I want you to do my stuff. And obviously, we worked night and day to come up with the best possible product. This was the first time a large influencer has given us the time of day. So that was huge for us. And after completing his project, it was like the most overwhelming force of just like uh, marketing that we've ever felt because he's telling his, his influencer friends about us and like, Hey, check out what VBI just did for me. This is amazing. No one else has anything like this on the internet, which then landed our second large client, which was Courage JD, which is another huge influencer in the space. And then again, like back to what I was saying about the original affiliate program, you have this virality of like gaining their audience um, and to the point where we're not doing any marketing hardly at all. It's all organic and we can barely keep up with it. So our, our success uh, in 2018 and kind of putting us where we're at on the map today is attributed to those guys and ultimately has given us like the awesome opportunity to work with many, many awesome clients. Nice. And so for those big guys, the big influencers, you did some probably then some agency work. You created custom designs. And you got an affiliate deal with them as well. Yeah, some of them do have deals with us. We'll retain the the rights to advertise through their channels. So we might cut them a discount on services or it might be trade for trade services. All depends on essentially their influence and you know if there's a good fit for the deal at the time with us. Nice. And so I, I guess for brands who haven't been around for long and you know might not have the same 
yeah, how do you, how do you say that? Brand appeal as, as VBI. How would you get people to connect with big influencers? How would you get them on board if your brand hasn't been around for long? I think that one of the things I'm always conflicted by is being in this space, we have to be an advocate for designers to be paid fairly, to earn a livable wage. However, there's a huge caveat to that. If you are still working on getting that that discoverability, getting your name out there, my favorite thing to do and favorite advice to give new folks is that, again, permissionless projects, you don't need a huge creator's permission to create a piece of fan art for them. This day and age, the internet has given everyone a voice, gives you the power to directly reach someone on their phone through Twitter or whatever the case may be. You don't need their permission to go out and work really hard on a piece to get noticed because if the quality is great, if they do by chance see it, they will retweet it, they will engage with it. Then suddenly your DMs, your emails, whatever, will start filling up with requests for, hey, like I saw what you did over there and that's incredible. I need that. And then that is literally like day one of your next potential business. So I think a lot of people really underestimate the power of those permissionless projects. Oh, that's cool. It's, it's funny. I had a guy in my DMs today he said, hey, I really like your stuff. Do you want to mentor me? And I sent him a link to like the permissionless apprentice from, I don't know, it's, it's original from Jack Butcher, right? Mm-hmm. So, and somebody wrote a, an article about it and I sent him that article and he was, he was still, he didn't know what to do. And I said, well, basically, I'm a startup founder. I want to grow my business figure it out that's what i said oh so i have to be your apprentice okay 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 so now i don't know what see what he's gonna do but he got he has the you know um he got the gist of it and um yeah i'm looking forward to what he's gonna gonna do (laughs) it's always humbling it's always humbling when you get people to approach you like that first off it's like out of all the people me (laughs) that's a really cool feeling and then to your point it's like then you have to battle with finding the time and it's like i don't want to essentially have access, you know, I want to give you time and attention you deserve to help really grow. Yeah. And also another thing I was thinking of when he said that to me or when he like agreed to be an apprentice, I don't know what he's going to do, but either way, would you also like advise brands to shout out about, Hey, we're looking for permissionless apprentices. Would you do something like that? Or would you just, you know, wait and see what comes because i think probably a lot of brands can profit from people like that and the other way around you know if that guy comes up with i don't know what and we love it we'll probably hire him so there's a there's a great you know uh, symbiosis we could create yeah i think that for us personally like i said we always have to be very careful with like respecting artist time and whatnot so i don't know that we would put out that message but the people that have created projects for us that have been permissionless, those usually are the folks that we will reach out to privately and go, hey, like, we really like what you did. There's an opportunity over in this area of the business I think that you would do amazing at. And then eventually those will either turn into internships or full-time gigs. So yeah, I think you really need to set your target and work hard towards what that is. And, and don't get discouraged just because you're told no once or you're you know, you're not noticed the first time. You have to be persistent. 
Interesting. And, and good nuance about, you know, being respectful of people's time. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very good point. Hey, so um, personally, you've been on Twitter since like 2013. VBI has been on Twitter since, I don't know, since the beginning when you started? When you Did you immediately decide, hey, we need to be in Twitter because our audience is on Twitter? Why, why did you make that decision? Yeah, we originally started up our social media presence. We were kind of weighing the options between Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And obviously, we're on all of them. But Twitter was a, a huge audience because the design community was already there. All of the influencers in the Twitch space were Twitter's their favorite platform. Why is that? I think it's because there's a stigma associated with Facebook. They're still as a company, they're battling this of like appealing to an older crowd or being kind of lame, you know, for lack of better terms, where Twitter feels like it's a younger audience that can exchange information really, really quickly. I can reach my favorite celebrity through a simple mention or a DM. And it almost feels like winning the lottery when that person that you hold so highly responds back. So I think that's why a lot of people gravitate towards Twitter but yeah, we we originally got our Twitter's our most successful platform in terms of social media. And I think it's just because it allows us to bring so many different forms of media and content on there. It's been really, really successful for us. But yeah, when I, I first started my my personal Twitter 2013, it was pretty lame. I'm not gonna lie. I feel like it was just like mentioning my friends and then there was just like this light bulb moment where it's like You can start working on your personal brand as a founder. You know, it's important to work on your your company's brand, but you also need to differentiate your personal brand and what you stand for and how you want to help the community. So I've always tried to be an advocate for the design community, help them realize, you know, you can make a career out of this. This isn't what it used to be five years ago, where, like I said, there was almost like this negative connotation of working or wanting a job within gaming or graphic design for streamers. Like, this has all changed. The game has absolutely changed. How did you do the advocating? How, how did you help, you know, up-and-comers? I think the biggest thing was a lot of artists struggle with chargebacks through PayPal or whatever payment processor they use. Chances are they're not using or utilizing some sort of invoicing system. So I remember back in the day, that was like the first thing that I really helped with is trying to reach out to creators and go, you know, you just got charged back a thousand dollars and you feel like your world is upside down right now. Let's kind of reverse engineer this. And it's like, well, you never sent over a contract. You never sent an invoice. You accepted this via friends and family, PayPal transaction. PayPal is not obligated to protect you in the situation. So educating people on the importance of those contracts and invoices was probably the most important thing that I feel like I I helped creators with that first. Yeah, they thought they were saving a couple of bucks by accepting it that way, but in, instead they... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. And there wasn't a bell that rang. That I, I can I can also, you know, besides doing the design, play a different role in, in the gamer's life or in the graphic designer's life. You, you were already in, in like the, the, the graphic design stuff, but you were more like the, the supplier of design, but you also saw that, hey, there's this you know, something else going on here in this world. Weren't you triggered by by that? And then you want to, I don't know, start a, a side business mm-hmm. helping people um, with those problems? Yeah. 
It's funny you say that. I had a conversation with someone on Twitter not too long ago where they're asking me about like purpose. They're like, he's like, just be honest with me. Like when you say that you have this purpose and you, you feel like this need to help people, is that just like a, a personal brand tactic or marketing tactic for you to kind of display for the world? And you're just, you know, collecting a paycheck. I thought it was a really interesting question. It's like, no, at the end of the day, I'm one of those people that physically can't stand just like sitting around watching TV and don't get me wrong. Like I'll play video games every now and then, but there's something about me that I cannot stand being idle. I feel the need to contribute something back to society. And like I was saying earlier with cybersecurity, it's the same stuff like every single day. And you get to a point where it's like robots are going to be able to just take over and handle cybersecurity better than we ever will. So it's like kind of reading some of the writing on the walls and then moving towards more of a passion project and discovering how I can make a thriving business out of that was really important to me. And so right now you have about 80,000 followers on your VBI account. You know, you've been at it for five years. You're, you've grown a very, very uh, nice following. Okay, tell us a little bit about what things worked. You know, you start with zero like everybody else. And mm-hmm. in the beginning, you were probably talking to a wall. How did that go? Yeah, I think uh, when you're you're just getting started, people also underestimate the value of adding on additional relevant content to other people's tweets that definitely got us noticed in the early days of like, you know, someone tweets some sort of graphic design tip and then we go in there and add on like, yeah, there's also that, but then did you know something about this? Uh, So just adding value to people's tweets will really get you noticed in the early days. I also think about the things that we did were things that did not scale. So very early on we would do engagement posts with the community, even though we didn't have much of a community back then, of like, hey, send us a picture of you and we'll draw you or, you know, something along those lines where everyone wants a piece of that, like to see the outcome of it. And then, of course, by them commenting on it with their picture, you're gaining more discoverability with the algorithm or people are seeing it in their feed. So I think that that's really important as well. Early on, we also kind of went the the giveaway route. Looking back on it, it's uh, it definitely feels like a mistake on our end. Uh, because you'll gain a, a lot of unengaged followers from doing so. And even though we were giving away, you know, graphic design packages, we're giving away like a gaming monitor or something like that, you get explosive growth in your numbers at first. But, you know, five months later, they don't come back and engage with your content or, you know, anything else. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. I've heard it. I've heard it, heard it before. Also, people do uh, like giveaways and emails and stuff like that. And people come for the freebies, but they don't stick around. They just, you know, it's just wasted money. You think you have a big list, but you really have a a big dead list. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, what we've done instead is we've taken those free products, essentially that we were giving away. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but kind of productize that and then went back to our marketplace and introduced free products there. So that way the folks that we would not get normally to convert on a paid product can get into our life cycle with the free one. Then ultimately we'll market to them through email and remarketing and so on and so forth. That has turned out 
by far more successful than any giveaway that we've ever launched. Hmm. What, what kind of free products did you create? Free stream packages, free stream transitions. And were they branded? One of them was, one of them, um, because that was our approach initially. It's like, how are we going to get value out of this free product if we don't plaster our logo on this? And it was it was successful, but we found far more success in creating a premium product for free that people can go, okay, I just got a taste of what it's like to get a VBI product. Now is a no brainer to convert. Yeah. So if, if I get this for free, what do I get when I spend 20, 80? Exactly. Exactly. And so what kind of pricing tires do you have? What do I get when I spend 20 bucks? And what do I get when I spend a hundred? Yeah. So we have, we think about our business in three different sort of prongs. We have the marketplace, which is everything for $30 or less. So if you're on a budget, you're looking for essentially like point and click, like I want that design, download it, use it. That's the best option. We also have bespoke projects. So if you're looking for something completely customized, we have uh, design services for that. Just about anything under the sun. You're still an agency. Yeah. Let's say after all these years, there's still an agency component to it. How is that percentage wise of your business? We're looking to grow the marketplace more and more. Um, so as we think about scalability, marketplace is obviously uh, the biggest component for us. But the, I think the other thing is utilizing those custom design projects and your VIP influencers and those brands that you work with, recognizing that they are a high leverage system. So again, like you create a customized project for them, they're going to go to their audience of two, three, four million people and then answer that question of like where they got that from. Obviously, those millions of people come to VBI, they cannot afford maybe the same level of design that that influencer got, but they sure in the hell can go to the site and afford a $30 package or even try out a free package. So if you look at it almost like a, a scale as you go up from the base, pricing is the lowest to obviously the highest. But then when you look at a leverage system going from the top to the bottom, that's your, your high leverage system that does essentially a lot of your marketing for you and you create an awesome product. Now you're building a nice, uh, a nice pyramid, so to speak. And so can you tell me a little bit, if I wanted to get a bespoke package, what would that cost me? That's always a tough question to answer. Because it's fully customizable. I can, you know, you can go as, as wild as you want. Exactly. Yeah, we've we've done custom design projects that range from like one emoji, for example. It starts at $35. We've done full-blown broadcast packages that are in upwards of $30,000. So it all depends on, you know, the complexity, the turnaround time, and so on and so forth. Interesting. And so the free uh, package, that's a, that's a big, I guess, you know, a lot of leads come through that. And then you, what do you do once, once somebody downloads a free package? Run, run me through that funnel. Yeah. When someone downloads a free package, we utilize Drip for our email marketing. We built out a ton of different automations in there. So uh, they're very, very conditional. So we, we stop various parts of the journey and we'll stop and ask for a decision. Has this person made a purchase? Yes or no. And then they'll branch off into a different tree. And then if they don't engage or if they're interested in a specific product type, we'll tailor our marketing to that. 
So we spent a lot of time into email personalization and utilizing liquid fields. Those have been absolutely amazing for us. What's a liquid field? Liquid fields is, I believe it was a Shopify language that was written first. I'm not a coding expert here, but we can essentially reference like I can insert a liquid tag in the email that will reference the person's last product that they ordered with us. So I can say, hey, first name, you know, how was X? And then every single time it's tailored to that person's experience, I can then tailor specific recommendations based off of what they purchased. So Drip has been really, really cool for us and huge part of our, our email marketing as well. Nice. And so once they purchase, then they, you know, they, they might go to the bespoke level, I guess. And uh, what do you do from people who, who purchase? What's, what sort of emails you send then? When someone converts to like a more bespoke design? Well, so I guess first they, they download the free stuff. Then, mm-hmm. you know, they, they still get emails and they might buy the $30 package. Then at least, you know, you know, they want to spend some money. They probably have a, a um, couple of followers on, on Twitch or wherever. How do you then try to get them? I guess you want to upsell them still towards a bespoke package. How do you, how do you get them so far? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately from the first stage of downloading a free product, the goal is obviously to convert them to a paid product. And uh, I'm sure you know this as well, like the hardest possible thing you can do with a, a lead is to get them to open their wallet and give you you know, payment details. That's the biggest trust jump you'll have throughout the process. Once we get over that portion of it with the, the customer, obviously we want to either send them down two different routes. We want them to continuously come back to us when they want to update their channel for Halloween, for example. We want to be able to provide Halloween updates on our marketplace that they can download and easily apply. But ultimately, some people will land in a place where it's like, hey, I have very specific ideas of what I want to build. I can't do this with a pre-made design or anything else. So that's when they will go that bespoke route. And once they do purchase custom design project with us, we're all about relationships. It's very much the concept of farming your leads. So you always want to build upon those relationships. And uh, we try to tell people like, look, you don't need to do everything all at once. You don't need to you know, slam down thousands of dollars on this custom design project. We want to have this as a recurring business with you where, you know, two months, three months from now, you're celebrating a milestone on stream and, you know, you can come back to VBI and get, you know, the graphics or whatever overlays to accustom that. So relationships are a huge part of once they have reached that part of the process for us. And so you got quite a bit of data probably now from what gamers or what streamers like and what they don't, and probably also what helps them convert more people to become a subscriber. How do you look at that data or how do you collect the data and how do you put that back into new product development? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing for us is we're hard at work on a cloud platform. Think of any, and you guys do this as well, Hype Fury, think of any SaaS tool essentially Imagine paying for some sort of product or some sort of service that you never get that feedback loop of how well it's working. So for Hype Fury, I saw where you guys had the the follower count, whether there's been an increase or a decrease. 
for us, we want to be able to tell our, our users, you implemented this design strategy and based on this new overlay or this new animated alert over the, the rolling 14 days, your subscriptions are up 30% based on this new strategy that you implemented. And there's no other tool out there that's doing anything similar to that in our space. So that is, we definitely think about data a lot. We want to make data-driven decisions. We're not out to just create, you know, what looks cool. There's always, it's like an iceberg for us. There's a ton of functionality underneath the hood and making sure that these designs always serve some sort of greater purpose. Nice. And so you're now in the process of building something like that, or you've already rolled that out? or We're building it, yeah. So we have a, a rough prototype of it. Um, there's a lot of different components that go into it. But yeah, it's very exciting times. Cool, cool. I bet a lot of people will be interested in that if if they can see, you know, if I do this, then this happens to my streams. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's cool. And so in uh, next couple of years, what are your plans with uh, VBI? Next couple of years, I hope that we're in a place where we have facilitated so many new careers for designers and creatives of all types. So in this space, we want to champion the need for stable income, you know, having uh, fair wages, so on and so forth, where sites like Fiverr have done the complete opposite. We've kind of programmed people that design is a matter of a few clicks and it's like it's done and there's no effort whatsoever. It's just easy. That's not the case. You get what you pay for. And so there's a lot of education that goes into that. So when we think about the next few years. We have a platform where we want to foster designers to pick up commission projects at any point, time of the day, whatever, so that way they can be autonomous um, and also give our clients a huge library of designs that they can mix and modify to apply to their channel in any way, shape, or form. And then coming full circles to our conversation about the agency, there's always going to be you know that small portion of the agency route, but we like to think of ourselves as a a platform company versus an agency. So again, just leveraging those influencers and that system to essentially help do your marketing for you on a larger scale. Because at the end of the day, like you said, we have 80,000 followers. We reach a certain percentage of people, but it'll never compare to our clients' audience and their friends and their family, so on and so forth. I was just about to ask, have you considered like becoming a marketplace where, you know, you're, you're talking about also different designers, they could probably, you know, show off their designs and yeah, you might play a role there. Yeah, we have. Um, that's something that we're actually getting ready to launch here in the, the coming months is allowing designers to be able to submit things to us, uh, take a look at our standards, uh, our upload policy and how we want assets to be positioned. And then that way, it's just a commission split between us. And it's a win-win situation because we're getting new content out there. We're empowering designers. Clients are happy with the new selection that's coming in daily. So yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity there. Marketplaces in general and the gig economy in general is, I think over the next few years, it's going to continue to blow up. Interesting. And so... 
we at we hyper we're also looking a little bit into gaming not not a lot still but do you know anything that's that's really missing you know people the those streamers they're gaming but they also you know they want to those tools are probably already around say hey i'm streaming right now or hey i was the first in in the round or something like that do, do you have anything that you say hey this is missing right now or yeah one of the things i think would be really awesome is when Creators are huge about social media. It's obviously how they put the message out there that, hey, I'm live, come check out my channel. One thing I think is really interesting, it's very much a one-way street right now. What I would love to see is that that two-way street of interactions. You know, uh, An influencer puts out a tweet about a big moment that they just had on stream, and then how cool it would, it would be if there was some sort of queue where a moderator on that channel could go through and approve or decline comments to come in and show tweets on screen related to that moment or reactions to it, I think would be really, really cool. And then it just grows that person's social media because now me as a viewer in the stream, I want that influencer to go laugh at my tweet or whatever. So now I go to Twitter and engage with this. So I think it's a, it's a win-win all the way around. Interesting. Hey Caleb, it's been it's been fun, man. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Really appreciate being on and respect the hell out of what you guys do over there at High Fury. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at, at Ask Caleb Lee or at VBI on our, our main company account. Uh, like I said, we use Twitter a hell of a lot. You'll find us over there. We're pretty active. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you left us an iTunes review and gave us a shout out on Twitter. See you again next week.